Well, I think the thing to think about when you start talking about um, the use of terms in which the way they are using it is true to, to how they understand it, but they know that you take it a different way. And you know what I like to point to people is if you read Reliance of the Traveler in book R, Holding One's Tongue, the section on lying, section R8, there's a little vignette, and everybody's heard the first part of the vignette, but I like to point out the second one. But let me give you the first part of it. Um, and it goes, when it is possible to achieve such an aim by lying but not by telling the truth, it is permissible to lie if attaining the goal is permissible uh, and obligatory to lie if the goal is obligatory. But what people don't realize is it goes on and it says, and this is important, I'm just reading out of the book, but it is religiously more precautionary in all such cases to employ words that give a misleading impression, meaning to intend by one's words something that is literally true in respect to which one is not lying, while the outward purport of the words deceives the hearer. At the end of the day, innocent people, when we say innocent people, we mean Muslims. As far as uh, non-Muslims are concerned, they have, uh, they have not accepted Islam. As far as we are concerned, that is a crime against God. Ever since 9-11, we've heard Muslim leaders tell us that Islam does not kill the innocent. And indeed, we recently have heard Barack Obama tell us that Islamic State could not be Islamic because they are killing innocents. So we need to look at this word innocent and ask ourselves, what does it mean? Well, I find that in discussing Islam, they use a lot of words that we think they know what they mean, but we don't know how they mean them. So how do we find who is innocent in Islam? Well, let's start off with one thing. Apostates are not innocent, and they can be killed. So here we have one person you could say from our standpoint is innocent. He just wants to change his religion, but not so with Islam. But there's a much broader category of innocent people, you might think, but upon the definition of Islam, they're not innocent. What about some kafir? That's a non-Muslim. Uh, surely a kafir woman who's just at the park with her child, if she's killed in an act of jihad, she's innocent, right? No, not at all, because no kafir is innocent, because the kafir has created the first crime, which is by definition, they reject Allah and they reject Muhammad. So one who rejects Muhammad, rejects Islam, cannot possibly be innocent. So when we take a look at human rights as defined by the Cairo Declaration on Human Rights and Islam that was legally served as an instrument to the United Nations in 1991, we have to realize that the definition of what may or may not constitute innocence is important. Now we've heard many times that when an act of terrorism comes out that leaders in the Muslim community, especially Muslim brothers, will say something, they'll use language like the killing a single person is tantamount to killing all of humanity 
or condemning the targeting of innocents. They use terms in reference that align itself with a, a, a verse of the Quran, verse 532. Of course, this verse 532 is talking about the killing of innocents under the Jews, but people forget that 532, following it is 533, and it makes it clear that a new rule is going to come in, and it's going to be based on Sharia. As, as prescribed in that verse 533. Why is this important? Well, it's important because, because the killing of an innocent in Islamic law does not, it has to contain, it has to contain some element where the person is a Muslim, a Muslim who is innocent. Now, of course, in the, in the free form way we, that they may have to use that term in the West, they may, they may, may allow themselves to slip on that to cover their bases. But in fact, if you read, if you read Reliance of the Traveler, it even goes so far as, as to make it clear or strongly suggest that this is true and of course and this can be read Well, it has to be emphasized that defending the religion in this case does not mean that the religion has necessarily been attacked. The fact of unbelief, the fact of the existence of unbelievers is an offense to the religion. And they consider that to fight against the unbelievers is to defend them. This pen is my gun. And these words are my bullets. I'll fight with these weapons against oppression to promote peace. So I think in an earlier recording once I read right out of one of Sayyid Qutb's books uh, the definition of peace in Islam and it's very simple. The definition of peace in Islam is total submission and when do you have world peace? You have world peace when the entire world has submitted to Islam, by which it is quite clearly meant to Islamic law. So that somebody like bin Laden, somebody like Yusuf al-Kawadari can actually say and mean it, and there's no hint of disingenuousness on their part when they say, we're not lying, we are here for, we're fighting for peace. After 9-11, September 11th, 2001, when the attack on the World Trade Towers, we heard a new phrase enter the American consciousness, which is, Islam is the religion of peace. George Bush said it, so it had to be true. And the Muslim Brotherhood smiled while he said it. But as we got to know a little bit more about Islam, it became apparent that Islam actually means submission. So that's what the real meaning of Islam is. But I bring this word up and how we need to talk about it because I was looking at a textbook being used in America 
And they said, well, Islam either means submission or Islam means peace. But no, Islam means submission. Now there is peace to be had with submission. And it turns out that Islam only gives us peace after the Sharia is in place and after we have submitted to the Sharia. Then we shift to the 1999 uh, Cairo Convention on International Terrorism that again was formally submitted to the United Nations as a legal instrument. And what does it say? It says that the OIC, the Islamic world, condemns all forms of terrorism condemned by Islam. Well, we're not, we're not going to have to torture this whole thing. You can go online and get the, the, the OIC Convention on International Terrorism, and you can see the condemnation, and 90% of it reads just like our condemnations of terrorism. But the very first two articles at the very top of the convention, it says, according to Islamic law. So what does that mean? It means that the entire, the entire Muslim world can come out and formally condemn terrorism all forms of terrorism condemned by Islamic law, and nobody stops to ask what it means by Islamic law. And here's the hint. It cannot mean jihad in the cause of Allah, because Allah commanded it. It's in the Quran. Now, I think the last term this brings us to is the Freedom and Justice Party. What we need to understand is that, is that because groups that use that term are known to be the Muslim Brotherhood, we instantly should also know that when we hear that term being used as, a, as the name of an entity, that there is the, well, 99% probability, 142% of the time, that you're dealing with a Muslim Brotherhood entity. So how is this? Because what happens if you just read milestones, you'll see freedom and justice used in such a way that it becomes absolutely clear that for the Muslim Brotherhood, freedom is freedom from the laws of man and justice is justice according to Sharia. The Cairo Declaration uh, of 1990, this is the declaration made by the uh, Organization of Islamic Conference. In those days it was conference, today it's co a cooperation, OIC. So all the Muslim countries of the world um, joined together in, in 1990 and issued the Cairo Declaration, which essentially is a repudiation of the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, because in it, in particular the last two articles, 24 and 25, uh, speak very clearly uh, to Islamic doctrine and belief that the only uh, human rights accorded or recognized under Islam, under Islamic law, 
are those human rights uh, accorded under Sharia, under Islamic law. So again, when Muslims talk about human rights, they don't mean the same thing that most of the rest of the world of non-Muslims uh, means when they say that term. Uh, human rights is not the universal declaration of human rights um, for Muslims. The, the definition for Muslims of human rights is Sharia and only Sharia. The struggle to establish the sovereignty of God on earth is called jihad. Jihad is achieved by giving men a chance to emancipate themselves from their oppressors and to restore their human rights granted by God to all mankind. God says, those who believe fight in the cause of God and those who reject faith fight in the cause of evil. So this is, this is, this is where you get Islamic concepts of peace and certainly Muslim Brotherhood concepts of peace. The best place to look for the definition of these words um, would, would indeed be a book of Islamic law. Uh, Reliance of the Traveler or Umdad al-Salik uh, is a good one, um, partly because it's organized uh, in such a readable fashion with uh, a lot of very neat um, chapters and category headings that are easy to look up. And another place to look, of course, um, for, for these kinds of, of, of definitions um, would be, especially with regard to Islamic law and Sharia, would be the Cairo Declaration uh, of 1990. Now, returning to the Cairo Declaration of, uh, Cairo Declaration of Human Rights in Islam, I, I think we could, we could go through a whole lot of the Cairo Declaration to show that it's true. But there are 25 declarations, or excuse me, there are 25 articles in the Cairo Declaration. And I think for the purpose of establishing the point that when, when Islam says human rights, they mean Sharia and nothing else, all we have to do is look at the last two, Article 24 and Article 25. And in doing this, we should use the, we should really use the uh, statutory construction rules. And one is that when you use a term of inclusion, it is almost always followed by a term of exclusion. What do I mean by that? In a contract, you can say, when we mean apples, we mean Granny Smith apples. That's a term of inclusion. And here comes a term of exclusion. And we mean nothing else. So that for the purpose of contract language, when we say apples, we mean Granny Smith apples, and we mean nothing but Granny Smith apples. So the one goes so far as to include what they mean, and then the second, the term of exclusion, excludes everything else. And that's important looking at the Cairo Declaration of, of Human Rights in Islam because Article 24 is really a term of inclusion. It says, all the rights and freedoms stipulated in this declaration are subject to Islamic Sharia. So everything this declaration that the OIC is talking about in the Cairo Declaration is subject to Sharia. And then we go to the term of exclusion in Article 25. It states, the Islamic Sharia is the only source of reference for the explanation or clarification of any of the articles in this declaration. So when we mean uh, human rights, we mean Article 24, all the rights and freedoms stipulated in this declaration, and we don't mean anything else because Islamic Sharia is the only source of reference as stated in Article 25. So
this, this is how we can get to understand that when the Islamic world uses the word human rights, all you have to do to win this argument decisively is go to a legal instrument served United Nations that says that as a matter of, of international convention and law. Now, some people might want to contest this concept that, that, that peace means submission and total peace comes from um, total submission, world peace comes from total submission to Islamic law. But all we really have to do is take a look at Syed Qutb's book. He wrote it in 1991 called Islam and Universal Peace. And what does he say? Well, I'll read it. According, accordingly, Muslims have a responsibility towards humanity. They are to achieve peace on earth within, within themselves, at home, and in society. It is a peace based on recognizing God's oneness and omnipotence, in, on instituting justice, equality, and liberty, and on achieving social equilibrium and cooperation. Islam came to establish justice in its widest sense, socially, legally, internationally, and to apply it to the people the world over. Whoever, Muslim or non-Muslim, violates this rule as an antagonist or is, is an antagonist and a transgressor. It is then the duty of Muslims to fight and, if necessary, to use force in order that the word of God, which is absolute and complete, prevail. The word of God is the expression of his will as specified in the Quranic verse and fight them until there is no more tumult and oppression. God ordains all religions should belong to him. This can only be realized in one way through, through worship obedience and complete surrender to him. Do you see how the, this concept of peace is emerging here? The divine law must dominate all secular and religious systems. Whoever usurps the right to legislate laws on his own is claiming a share in the divine powers of organizing the universal system. Such a person would be claiming implicitly, if not explicitly, a share in God's attribution. In other words, he would be taking on himself the right to rule as a as another God on earth. In order to propagate the oneness of God on earth and to put an end to power to the power of those who by word or deed challenges omnipotence, Islam allows Muslims to fight. Such is the only war allowed in Islam. So I think that really lays it out. Don't you?